Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40. And you'll find that on page 1101 of the Church Bibles. Acts 8, reading of verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thank you. I'm a bit upset, I have to say, that I didn't get um, the the Jeff Steadman interview. So, just so that you do know me, cricket, running, rugby most definitely, Twitter. Um, I answer about 100 emails a day, but I also write letters in a fountain pen. Uh, Modern, but I prefer the organ. So, that you now basically know everything you ever need to know about me. Um, can I just say thank you to the church here um, for a long time now you have provided a welcome and a home to folks from Wycliffe um, going back to when Sue and I first turned up as Horsley's Green as students in the mid-1980s and beyond that and it is a wonderful ministry that you've had and we are very very grateful to you um, there are people all over the world who remember Long Crendon Baptist Church and your welcome and your respect for the, the scriptures and your love for the Lord and who are grateful for you. So on behalf of those people, thank you very, very much. And equally, thank you very much for inviting me to speak. I'm wondering why it's taken 30 years, but perhaps <laughs> perhaps in 20 minutes that will become obvious. Who knows? <laughs> Um, like, if, you, if you'd like to, to turn back to the passage from Acts chapter 8. This is 
a story which is very familiar to you. Oh, just to recap, the Holy Spirit takes Philip into the desert. He sees a chariot and presumably a, a man with a big retinue. And the Spirit says to Philip, go and talk to this man. He runs up alongside the chariot and starts to talk to him, which as a overweight middle-aged runner I see as a miracle. How can you run alongside a chariot and hold a conversation? But he did so. <laughs> he discovers the man is reading from the book of Isaiah. He says, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no, I don't. Philip explains it. The man becomes a Christian. He's baptized and Philip disappears. That's the story in a nutshell. It's a story which I'm sure that you're aware of. But even though it's familiar, please don't switch off. Um, I hope we'll find something new and I hope that the Lord will speak through what we have here. What I'd like us to do, rather than go through the story sort of line by line, is to concentrate on the four main characters. So we're going to go through the four main characters in the story and just see what is happening in their lives as we read it through. So let's start with Philip. Who is this Philip who goes and preaches? Well, we first come across him in Acts chapter 6 verse 5 where he is named as one of the people who's chosen to serve at tables in the Jerusalem church. He's basically on the coffee rotor. He's somebody he's chosen for those roles. All the people who were chosen to um, serve at tables were chosen because they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So he's obviously somebody who is a godly man and he's been chosen, but he isn't one of the apostles. This isn't a big name. As I say, it's one of the guys who serves behind the scenes, the sort of person without whom the church could never function, but probably doesn't get his name on the notice board. That's Philip. And then at the start of Acts chapter 8, let's just read a few verses. Acts 8, 4 to 8. Some persecution has broken out in the church, and we pick it up. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I bet there was. You know, in a place where the medical system was not as good as we're used to, people were being healed, there was great joy in the city. So this is Philip. He's somebody on the coffee rotor, but persecution breaks out. He goes to a city in Samaria and starts telling people about Jesus, and he starts working miracles. There are healings, there are people being... Um, delivered from demons and people put their faith in Christ in fact there was so much impact that the news got back to Jerusalem and the apostles had to go and check out what he was doing you know, who is this guy you know, he's, what's he doing who, who, who said he could go and do that so two of the apostles go down to check on him now he's in the middle of this really successful ministry in Samaria with People being healed, people coming to the Lord, great things happening. And then in verse 26 we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. So there he is, 
Everything is going really well. The Lord is blessing his ministry. And an angel says to him, now go down to the desert. Where, I don't know how much you know about deserts, but you don't find many people there. This is not where you're going to see a spectacular ministry with lots of healings and all sorts of things going on. The Holy Spirit, via this angel, takes Philip from somewhere where it's really exciting, where it's all kicking off, the Lord is doing great things, and says, go to the desert. And Philip goes to the desert. And while he's there, he sees this chariot. Now, it's not, you know, we, we don't know what it was like, but this, this Ethiopian, he was an important guy. He'd have had a huge troop of soldiers with him to keep him safe. And Philip sees all this, and the Spirit says to him, go and approach the man. And he does. And while he's there, he hears this man reading from the book of Isaiah. And he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replies, no. So Philip carefully and patiently goes from the book of Isaiah and explains about the suffering servant and points him to the man, Jesus Christ, who had ever so recently lived and died and rose again in Jerusalem. And he shows him and explains how Isaiah was pointing to Jesus. In Samaria, Philip preaching and there are demons being cast out, there are healings. He meets this big, intellectual, important, big cheese from Ethiopia and patiently he opens the scriptures and explains to him. In one setting, he works in one way. In another, he does something very differently. In, in each case, he's pointing people to Jesus. But in different ways. Now, as far as I know, Philip had never actually taken any of our courses at Wycliffe, where we explain about contextualization and presenting the gospel in appropriate fashions, in appropriate settings. But Philip did it. Wonders and signs and exciting preaching in Samaria. Patient opening of the scriptures and explaining. But in both cases, pointing people to Jesus. There is no one missionary method which fits every situation. And Philip knew that. And so, this man becomes a Christian. Another successful ministry for Philip. And then... The last verse of our passage. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. God does wonderful things through Philip in Samaria and he leaves it and goes to the desert. God does wonderful things through Philip in the desert and he takes him somewhere else and goes around preaching the gospel. So that's Philip. Now, the Ethiopian. What do we know about him? Well, he was very important. It says, 
he was, so he started out and on his way, this is verse 27, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man is Chancellor of the Exchequer of an empire somewhere to the south of Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia. The term Ethiopia in the Bible doesn't quite line up with our notion of the country. But he is an important man. He's big cheese. He was also a black African. He wasn't a white European. He wasn't Jewish. This is at least 30 years before the gospel crossed from the Middle East into Europe. And Christianity has already gone down south into sub-Saharan Africa. And an African becomes a Christian. When we lived in the Ivory Coast, we would often be told by people, oh, that's a white man's religion. We don't want anything to do with that. Your Jesus, your Christianity, it's all for white people. And you, you, know, you would see on churches in Africa, pictures of Jesus, the same Sunday school pictures that I had, of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, beautiful Nordic Jesus, which have no historical validity whatsoever. And it reinforces the idea that Christianity is for people like me, middle-class, middle-aged white guys. This guy was African. And before the gospel came to Europe, the gospel went to Africa. This is a faith for the whole world. It's not just a faith for Europe. And we're living in an age now where there are far more Christians in Africa per head of population than there are in Europe. They say, this is a new thing. Oh, no, it isn't. The gospel was in Africa long before it came here. So, that's this chap. What else do we know about him? Well, he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was somebody who wanted to know about God. Who wanted to understand. And he'd gone at presumably great personal cost. You know, to cross perhaps a thousand miles of land when the fastest you can move is the speed of a horse pulling a cart, takes a long time. He was somebody who desperately wanted to find out more about God. And there he is on his way back on the journey. He's been to Jerusalem and he's got out a Hebrew scroll and he's trying to struggle to read Isaiah. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you go to W.H. Smith's in an airport or in a railway station they have books you know the bookshops but the books tend to be either thrillers or romances or the 30 minute manager simple books that are easy to read while you're travelling <coughs> people don't generally when they're on a plane settle down to read Aristotle or Something with long words in it. When you're travelling, you just want something relaxing to kill the time. This guy was reading Isaiah. And not only was he reading Isaiah, he was reading it in Hebrew, which wasn't his language. 
Andy was being pulled by a horse. This wasn't air-conditioned comfort with people coming around every now and then trying to feed him unedible food. He was so serious about wanting to know God that he took his time to read it. But he didn't understand. So when Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He had to answer, no, I don't. Because it was in a foreign language. And it's not my job to plug Wycliffe today. I'm not going to do so much. But nobody should have to learn a foreign language so they can hear about Jesus. Nobody should have to learn a foreign language so they can hear about Jesus. And that's what Wycliffe are about. And other mission organisations are available. (laughs) But our God is gracious. He didn't leave this guy alone in his chariot, struggling to understand what's happening in Isaiah. He sent along Philip to explain it. And Philip, who we've seen, opened the scriptures, explained what Isaiah was talking about, and showed how it pointed to Jesus. And when he understood it, his life was changed. He was baptised and he went on his way rejoicing. Understanding the Christian message, understanding what God is doing, makes all the difference. It is extremely easy to be involved in church life. It's easy to be involved in religious life without really getting to grips with what the message is saying. I heard a story recently from Central African Republic which for those who are geographically challenged is a republic in the centre of Africa. And it's from an area where they speak a language called Bea, a town called Bosangwa. I'm going to be testing you on these so you will need to remember. Bea and Bosangwa. You'll be asked at the door if you don't know them, you can't go. You don't get a coffee. A guy called Urba, who'd been involved in church for years... And he'd even trained to be a literacy teacher. He trained to teach people to read and write. But, like some people in churches here, he had a lot of potential, but he never actually did anything. He never organised any classes. But, one day, a group of people came to the area to record Matthew's Gospel and Acts in Bea, the local language. And it surprised the socks off everybody that Urban got really involved and was really enthusiastic and turned out to be one of the keenest and most interested people in in these recording sessions. And after a while they asked him why. You've never shown this sort of keenness. And he said, well, when this team came, I had to sit down and read and study the Gospels in Bea, my own language. And all of a sudden, I understood it. I'd been reading the Bible, I'd been going to the church in the national language, and it had never touched my heart the way it did in this language. And after years of being involved in church, after years of going along, he finally grasped what God was saying and the claims that God had on his life. And his life was transformed. This Ethiopian desperately wanted to know about God. He went all the way to Jerusalem, but it wasn't until somebody explained him that the way to God is through Jesus Christ 
that his life was transformed. So that's Philip and the Ethiopian. Next major character in the story, and perhaps the most important character in the story, is actually the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked through Philip in Samaria. Philip went to Samaria because of persecution. But when he got there, the Spirit spoke through him, worked miracles, changed lives. And just as everything was really exciting, he sent Philip off into the desert. Through the words of an angel. And when Philip was out in the desert, he said to him, go and talk to the man in the chariot. And he prepared the man in the chariot. The man in the chariot wasn't sitting down reading Tom Clancy's latest. The man was sitting down reading the book of Isaiah. And through Philip, he illuminated the man's heart so that the man's life was transformed. He prepared him and he spoke to him. And having done all that, he takes Philip and Philip appears in Azotus and gets back to preaching. Everything that happened in this passage was organised and happened through the work of the Spirit. I'm pretty sure that if Philip had done a planning session, he'd got down and he'd done all the analyses and worked out what he should do, he wouldn't have come up with what happened. But it is the Spirit who took Philip, who prepared people, who spoke through him, and then moved him on again. And you know, we've no idea why any of that happened. On the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why close down a successful ministry in Samaria to go and speak to one person in the desert? And when that one person has become a a Christian and yet hasn't had time to grow and develop in their faith, why take Philip off somewhere else? The Holy Spirit does things which we don't always expect, which we mightn't always organise. But there is no doubt that in this passage the most important character, the mover and shaker, is the Holy Spirit of God. So, Philip, the Ethiopian, the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Who is the fourth character in this story? It's you and I, the readers. And what is God saying to us through this passage? What is God saying to us as individuals? And perhaps more importantly, what is God saying to us as a body of Christians gathered here this morning? And though I'm a visiting preacher, I'm part of you. We are one body. What is God saying to us? All too often, we listen to God's word and say, what is God saying to me? As Christians, we're called together. And God speaks to us. So we are in this story. What's God saying? Well, when I chatted to Jeff, he asked me the question, could you talk about what it means to be missional? He said it with a Welsh accent, but that's what he meant. Um, I, I'm a linguist, I could work it out. <laughs> and what does this passage say to us today about what it means to be on a mission with God, to be missional, to be reaching out to people? I think the first thing is that we need to be sensitive to where God is leading us by his Holy Spirit or perhaps by angels. What is God's Spirit 
telling us to do? Are we listening? You know, there is a, there's apparently a sign on a road somewhere in Alaska that says, choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next ten miles. Because, you know, the ruts in the road are so deep that when you're in there, you can't turn. As Christians, as congregations, we sometimes get used to doing things. We have a program, we know how to do it, we can deliver it. And when that happens, it's so easy to stop listening to what God is saying to us. What is God, the Holy Spirit, saying to us together about who we should be reaching out to? Is God telling you to stay in Samaria? Or is God speaking through this congregation to one of two of you and saying, actually, I want you in the Central African Republic? Or Tanzania? Or Gateshead? What is God saying to us? Is God saying, I want you to go alongside, not the chariot, but that guy who works in the desk opposite you. I want you to talk to him. Where is God the Holy Spirit taking us? Philip responded. What about us? Like Philip, we need to change our methods with our circumstances. It is so easy you know, to latch onto something that's successful. There are books, you can buy books, that will tell you the key to evangelism. That if you just do this one thing, people will respond. And you know what? They might be right. Or they may not. Because in different situations... We have to act in different ways. Who would have thought ten years ago that one of the most effective witnesses to Christ in this country would be people going out onto the streets of our towns and cities at 11 o'clock on Friday night and giving flip-flops to people and just quietly and gently caring for them through the street pastors? which has given great honour to the name of Christ through this country and is quietly drawing people to Jesus. I don't think I'd have thought of that, but it's a wonderful way of doing mission. As churches, we can latch onto something that's successful and then stick with it beyond its useful life. Or even worse, we can latch onto something which is unsuccessful and stick with it anyway. In a couple of months, take my life in my hands here, in a couple of months, you're going to move out of this building and do things to it and knock things down and put things up and Kevin MacLeod will come along and say how wonderful it is. You can see the others who watch Grand Designs. Um, sometime over the summer, some of you are going to start feeling... I can hardly wait for the building project to get finished so we can get back into the church and things can be like they were before. Can I say to you that things shouldn't be as they were before when you come back? If you're going to knock 
bits down and build bits up and carry on doing things exactly as you're doing them now. That's probably a mistake. I don't know what you should be doing differently, but there should be some things that won't be the same because you have new opportunities, new ways of doing things. Christ must always be at the centre as he was for Philip. No doubt about that. God's word must be proclaimed and honoured. No doubt about that. But what are the new things that God is going to allow you to do when you have a renewed building? Like Philip, mission means we make the most of the opportunities. Philip didn't go to Samaria on a preaching trip. He went there because he was in the fear, fear of his life. Saul was wandering around killing Christians. <coughs> and Philip got out of Jerusalem, went to Samaria, because he was afraid he was going to be killed. Now, it would have been understandable if he'd hunkered down and stayed anonymous. You know, let's not put my head above the parapet, or Saul might come here and kill me. But he had the opportunity to preach Christ in a new place, and he did. And we must pick up on that. <coughs> we must make the most of the opportunities. You know, most of us are never going to go to Azerbaijan or China or somewhere really exciting. But every person in this room lives in one of the most difficult missionary situations in the world. And that is materialistic post-Christian Britain. The opportunities for sharing Christ in this land are enormous. And Philip would have made the most of them. And God calls us to make the most of them too. And I don't know what they are. I do know that it's incredibly difficult sharing Jesus. People will laugh at you, take the mickey, might just ignore you. And for those of us who are British, we find speaking out about anything, unless it's football, quite difficult. But it is our calling to share Christ wherever we go. And it isn't just for the professionals. Philip wasn't an apostle. He could easily have gone to Samaria and said, well, if only John and Peter were here, they're the professionals, they're the apostles, they could preach the gospel. But I'm just on the coffee rotor. And it's easy for us to say, well, I don't have to share the, the gospel with anybody, that's Jeff's job, we pay him for it. And it's also easy sometimes for those who are in Christian leadership to discourage people from sharing the gospel. I remember my pastor saying to me, when I, um, I showed him a new I'd been a Christian about six months, and I showed him a new book I'd bought, and I was very excited, How to Share Your Faith. And his reaction was, well, you have to learn more about your faith before you can share it. Whoa! Sharing the Christian faith isn't just for those who have been to Bible college. It's for those on the coffee rotor, as well as for those who are in the pulpit. It's all of our jobs. Just a couple more points. One other thing that comes out of this passage is perhaps there is someone in this room, someone here today in church, 
who is a bit like the Ethiopian. They're really interested in Christian things. They're interested in the Bible. They want to know more about it. But they've never yet encountered God through Jesus Christ. It's all there. It's all interesting. It's fascinating. It's something I want to know about. But it doesn't touch me inside. If you are like that, find a Philip. Well, there's a Philip over there, but find a metaphorical Philip. Find someone you know who's had an encounter with Christ. And talk to them. Talk to them about your need to make this thing real. Not just a pleasant Sunday morning activity. (coughs) And lastly, where are your Ethiopians? The Holy Spirit took Philip out into the desert. Pointed him at a chariot and said, talk to them. Talk to that guy. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you To us together. And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you as an individual about your Ethiopians? They don't have to come from Ethiopia. They can come from Tame. But where are your Ethiopians? And what are you doing to share the gospel with them? Where are your Ethiopians? Let's pray. Lord God, you acted by your Spirit in this passage. And then by your Spirit, you called Luke to write these words down. So that 2,000 years later, we could understand them. And we just pray now that by that same Spirit, you would breathe life into what we've heard. You would breathe life into our lives. And help us to know where our Ethiopians are. And by your grace, to share your gospel with them. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us and bless our faltering efforts the way that you blessed Philip. In Jesus' name. Amen.